0: As we, uh, as we open the Word of God together, we're going to be in First Timothy chapter number 4. Some of these are familiar verses of Scripture to you, but I'm so grateful for the Word of God. Let's try it one more time. I'm so grateful for the Word of God. Amen. Amen. Thank you. Thank God for His Word today. And it's a privileged opportunity that I have. We are standing in a, in a tradition that's been held within the body of Christ for many, many years, dating all the way back to the time of the second temple in which Ezra stood in a pulpit and opened the book. And when he opened the book, the people stood. And so we're just following this ancient tradition. First Timothy chapter 4, Paul writes to his young apprentice or his common son or his son in the common faith. In the sixth verse, he says, If thou... He speaks to Timothy, who is also a minister, who is pastoring a group of men and women. He said, If thou will put the brethren in remembrance of these things, thou shalt be a good minister of Jesus Christ. That's what all of us pastors long to be. We, we, I don't set my goal to be the best pastor uh, in America, because I know I'm not, and I know I cannot be. I set my goal to just be who God's called me to be, and that is a good minister of Jesus Christ, nourished up in the words of faith and of good doctrine. The word doctrine means teaching. You need teaching whereinto thou hast attained. Uh, the 11th verse, and this, this flows together. I've extracted just a few verses here though. These things command and teach. So Paul is putting a burden of responsibility on Timothy to teach these things. Uh, and then let's drop down to the 13th through the 16th verse. And he says, now, till I come, till I arrive there in my apostolic ministry, I want you as a pastor to give attendance to reading, which that meant the public reading of Scripture, uh, what we're doing right now, to exhortation, which is the preaching, which also encompasses uh, calling people to come to Christ, and also to doctrine, which is to teach or to edify the believers. He told uh, Timothy to don't neglect the gift that is in thee, which was given thee by prophecy with the laying on of the hands of the presbytery. Every pastor has a gift of some type in order to share this gift uh, with others. He must not neglect it. He must keep it fervent, stir it up, pray over it, ask God to, to cause it to grow. And then he said, Timothy, uh, meditate upon these things. This, you can't do this haphazardly. You've got to grow into this. You've got to think about these things and grow into these things. But he said, if you will give yourself wholly to them... Your profiting may appear to all, or your progress. One of the things that I've always enjoyed seeing men, and including myself when I was a little bit younger in the ministry, grow in the ministry. I've, I've loved watching uh, Joe and Shane here just in your... They've grown up a lot in your eyes, haven't they? And matured in, the, in their knowledge of the Word of God. And, uh, and certainly I, I have as well. Take heed unto thyself and unto the doctrine. Continue in them... For in doing this, thou shalt both save thyself and them that hear thee. That's a good thing. isn't it? It's not just us on an island up here. Now we turn to 2 Timothy, and we'll read just, I think, five verses of Scripture here in the third chapter. And then we'll conclude with two verses in the book of Colossians, and that will be our Scripture reading for today. Now, the second epistle to the same recipient, Timothy, Paul here writes in the seventh, or in the seventh verse as he speaks about those in his generation. He said, there are some in our generation, if you were to read verses 1 through 6, and I can't uh, elaborate for the sake of time, he said, they're ever learning, but never able to come to the knowledge of the truth. Now, I don't want to be caught in that ever learning, a cycle of learning, but never get what God wants me to understand, the knowledge of the truth. Um, and then the 14th through the 17th verse, he says again to Timothy, because of the seduction of, of evil men and persecutions that have come he said you got to continue in the things which you have learned now this is a very familiar passage of scripture to us as a church family because i've read it to you multiple times over the last 13 years continue thou in the things which you have learned and you've been assured of knowing of whom you have learned them knowing from where this doctrine has uh, has arisen and that from a child you have known the holy scriptures Which are able to make thee wise unto salvation through faith which is in Christ Jesus. Now some of you were raised with the word of God from the earliest of days. And you are, uh, you know, your parents knew the word of God. And they taught you the word of God. And you were blessed beyond measure. Now others of you, that's not the case. So like a child, you've come to Christ now. And therefore, it's your time now that from your spiritual childhood, it's time to know the Holy Scriptures. Right? Right? because look at the promise here he said they're able to make you wise unto salvation through faith which is in christ jesus and then paul he speaks about the scriptures all scripture is given by inspiration of god it's prop which means it's god breathed god breathed god moved upon the authors of scripture and it is profitable for doctrine to teach you it's for reproof that leads to correction I'm so thankful for the Word of God that the Word of God confronts me when I have a bad or an attitude or I'm carrying sin or I'm harboring things in my mind such as bitterness, anger or unforgiveness or maliciousness, but I'm confronted by the Word of God. It reproves me and that reproof leads to my correction, right? And from that correction, I gain instruction on how to live, not just what not to do or how not to live, but how to live. Because God's design, 17th verse, that the man of God may be perfect or mature, spiritually mature, furnished unto all good works, prepared to do whatever God's called us to do. Now we're going to back up and read two verses of Scripture in the book of Colossians here for just a moment of time. We're going to read just verses 9 and 10 out of the first chapter here. And Paul says here, For this cause, since the day that we heard it, We heard about your faith. That's what he's writing about. If you would have read the first eight verses, he said, man, we heard about you. I'm going to paraphrase it. He said, we heard about you and your love for God and how you got saved and born again. And since the day that we heard about it, we are going to pray for you. And here's our prayer. We're going to pray that you're going to be filled with the knowledge of his will. Now, we're going to connect to this. I believe the word of God is the will of God. Right? Right? that his will is found in his word. So, let, so I think it's, it doesn't take this out of its context to add to it, to say, I'm going to pray that you're filled with the knowledge of his word. Amen. Right? In all wisdom and spiritual understanding, that you might walk worthy of the Lord unto all pleasing, being fruitful in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. Amen. Let me say, I want to grow in the knowledge of God. I want to grow my understanding of who God is and what he's, the price that he paid through his son on the cross. You know, this is the fourth message or the fifth message that I preach in the context of averting crisis in the contemporary church. What I have simply meant was, is I believe that if we're not careful, the, the contemporary church in America is going to arrive at the place where we lose our power to influence the culture. That we, in essence, will become a dead sect. We'll have a form of godliness, but we don't have the power of the gospel working within us. I'm not saying that to be critical or condescending. I'm saying that to maybe we could see it from afar and we could correct it, right, and become that light, that people, that voice that God wants us to be. And it's not just to the community. It's to your family. Come on, you need to be a light in your family, in your home, to your children. Is that right? And so I've preached to the millennials which those that are aged from 19 to 35, they need to take the the baton of genuine faith, right? They need to run with it, genuine faith. Then I preached about sanctification and holiness, and y'all really shouted me down on that message. But in essence, that God's calling us to live a life that that is distinct from the world, because we're called out of the world. Does that make sense? The third message was on a Sunday night. I didn't call it part of the series. I called it an addendum. It was, we got to reconsider the doctrine of stumbling blocks. Our conscious choices matter because what we do, what we have the freedom to do as a Christian, sometimes we might call somebody to stumble who doesn't understand what we understand. We've got to grow. Sometimes we have to adapt our lifestyle to even things we would not normally want to do but so that I don't call someone uh, uh, that's looking to me as an example, right? Last week, I preached about the value of being connected to a local body of believers. Thank God for this church family. I'm so grateful to have brothers and sisters in Christ, grandmas and grandpas, uncles and aunts, right? Children, offspring. I got to go with the young at heart this week uh, to to the uh, Passion Play and that is a rowdy bunch of, of folks. Just want y'all to know. Joe, listen, you got the easy job hanging out with the teenagers. When you take them on a trip, you go to McDonald's and, and you're eating a number three. When I go with them, we've go to two buffets a day. <laughs> That's a great group of people in our church. family, because we are a family, right? From the oldest to the youngest. Right? From the wealthiest to the poorest. To the one that was saved last week or the one that was saved 60 years ago. We're a family. You know what we got to do today? We've got to know the Word of God. That's what I'll talk to you about for a few minutes. We've got to know the Word of God. Father, we love you and we're grateful for this privileged opportunity to hear the Word of God. Let the Spirit of God quicken the words today and let preaching come easy in this house. It's in Jesus' name and all God's children said. I'm not going to take the time to go into it in great depth, even though I printed out part of it. But there was an article that was posted in Charisma News. That's an online version of Charisma Magazine that kind of highlights some cultural and current events, and both within the church and outside the church. And it was drawn attention to a uh, a part of a sermon, or actually the context was found in the entirety of a sermon that was preached by a very well-known pastor, brother Andy Stanley, who is the son of Charles Stanley. Out of Atlanta Georgia and many of the of the older folks definitely know Charles Stanley a his historic very favorite Bible teacher for many years and Stanley uh, or now Andy is uh, his, a pastor in his own right and has a mega church a large large church thousands and thousands of people in Atlanta Georgia and he has a com- he has a passion to reach what he calls the millennial generation the younger generation he's probably my age nearing 50 years of age he's got adult children but he has such a desire uh, a commendable desire to reach the unreached and the unchurched, those that don 't know those that weren 't raised with a christian heritage that and so but he, but he made some statements that create a little bit of controversy in his message and i 'm going to read from this, and this is actually captured in an article that was written in response by dr. Michael Brown. Now, dr. Michael Brown is a spirit filled Jew who uh, it debates a lot of people, but he does it with a, not a condescending demeaning way but in a loving way of growth and grace he was a part of the brownsville revival many many years ago some of you that are familiar with the brownsville revival may remember him and so this i actually uh took this from his article which he wrote in response to and so he's quoting from brother stanley uh, as he opened his message he's and this is what andy said he said so i need you to listen really carefully and the reason is this perhaps you were taught as i was taught jesus loves me this i know for the bible tells me so period and then he added this that is where our trouble began i'm sure there was a shock and awe effect and he was using a shock and awe effect to preach the message and in the context of the message uh and, and and Brother Stanley went back and elaborated on it. He's a firm believer in the Word of God. He's a firm believer in the authenticity of the Scriptures, the inerrancy of the Scriptures. But he has a motive within himself that the culture that he's preaching to does not necessarily uh, recognize the Bible as the authoritative Word of God. And so, therefore... Uh, he doesn't perhaps minister it in the same way as it has historically been done. And this is, this is a little excerpt, once again, from his sermon. And, and it says this, Changing times call for changing approaches in order to accomplish our unchanging mission of making disciples. And so, Pastor Stanley's concern is that we are dealing with increasingly large numbers of Americans who do not believe the Bible is the Word of God. Now, and he's accurate in that assessment people who have, all, who have heard all kinds of attacks against the reliability and, the, and the, the, the history of the scriptures, people who have either left the church or have never been a part of the church, to say we know it is so because the Bible tells us so doesn't mean anything to them. That's the point that Brother Stanley was attempting to make to his congregation on that day. He also went a little bit further and he said we are taking upon ourselves the impossible burden of defending every attack against the Bible in order to preserve people's faith. Whereas if their faith is grounded in the resurrection of Jesus, then they won't feel the need to defend all of Scripture. And so Dr. Brown is highlighting some of his argument into which he definitely, uh, he definitely um, not, not reprimands, but he definitely commends Andy for his desire to reach the millennials, his willingness to use uh, unorthodox means and ways. But he arrives at the place after, and for the sake of time, I won't read all, uh, certainly it's a long article, I won't read all of it. But, but it comes down to this right here, and, and, and this, it was coming down to the fact that it, should we, in our attempt to reach this generation, kind of mask our faith, uh, Uh, without putting the scriptures out front. It's kind of a debatable thing. And, And again, what Stanley is making the point of, Paul said, I became all things to all men that by any means I might win some. He's also referencing the fact that when Peter was preaching to the Gentiles, he didn't quote any scriptures. But when he preached to the Jews, he quoted scriptures. And he was referencing that when the Apostle Paul preached on Mars Hill in Greece, or excuse me, in Athens, it's recorded in the book of Acts, I believe the 17th chapter, no, 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 the 19th chapter, 17th or the 19th chapter of the book of Acts, that Paul even alluded to... um, secular poets not necessarily preaching exactly Scripture because they didn't understand the Scripture. And and it creates a great debate. It's a good point for you to learn and contemplate and to look at it from different positions. But but ultimately, um, I certainly would have sided with uh, Brother Brown, Michael Brown, and his response to the statements that, that certainly were made And I want to just kind of pick it up from there just really quickly because I don't want to say anything negative about a man that's reaching thousands of people for Jesus and that's grown a great and healthy church. But I will say this, some are more gifted to reach and some are more gifted to teach. And I will say this at the same time real quickly is that our faith cannot exist nor our knowledge of God grow without the knowledge of the word of God. Our faith cannot even exist because even the smallest component of the gospel, even if we were trying to mask our message to a certain degree because we were afraid that if we overwhelmed people in any capacity, the moment that you let out any word about a cross, about a resurrection, about a savior, about disciples or apostles or about angels or about devils or about heaven or about hell, then what you've done is you have shared the word of God. Are y'all hearing what I'm saying? 1 Thessalonians says this, For this cause, thank we God without ceasing, because when you received the word of God which you heard of us, you received it not as the word of men, but as it is in truth, it is the word of God which you have heard from us, and it will effectually work in you that believe. Thank God for his word. God is synonymous with his word. We know him because of his word. Whether it's in a uh, mass reading of the entirety of the scripture or whether it's just one little component of the gospel, such as uh, the the, the story of Mary running to the the tomb because of the angel's visit and discovering that the, the tomb was empty. Whatever the case, it's still a part of the gospel and it's a part of the word of God. Paul would share with us in this context. Some focus on the simplicity of the gospel, which leads to conversion. Others focus on spiritual growth, which follows conversion. Some point people to Jesus, and others are responsible to teach people after they come to Jesus. Just like Paul said some water or some soul and some water, but God gives the increase. Let's go a little further. Paul differentiated the difference when he said this in 1 Corinthians 3. He said, brethren, I could not speak unto you as unto spiritual but as unto carnal, even as unto babes in Christ. He said, I have fed you with milk and not with meat, because you would not been able to bear it, neither yet now are you able. So, Paul differentiated that there are certainly levels of growth in our spirituality, calling the Corinthian men babes in Christ, having the desire to teach them on a different level and, uh, than, than what they were ready to receive. And But he did so with a little bit of a slight reprimand, because they ought to have been at the place where they could have received meat i remember years ago a preacher said i do not mind at all giving christians uh, you know the bottle of uh the bottle of god's of milk of god's word he said but i just hate to have to part the mustache to get the bottle to go in and what he was making the reference is is that if you've been in the faith for a while it's time to grow in your knowledge of god and not live in in, in spiritual ignorance of the word of god and I want to say this to you. This is uh, one of the key points today. If you don't hear much more, at least catch this. You have to initiate you have to initiate spiritual growth in your life by desire to hear the word of God. Amen. Nobody can do it for you. You can live and be in church for 50 years and, spi- and still be a spiritual infant in the eyes of God. If you don't set your heart to know the knowledge of God through his word is that right Peter said as a newborn babe desire I can't dictate your desire for you I can I can do my best to teach you and instruct you but desire is something that you got to stir up in your own heart it's my desire to put something in front of you that creates in you a desire to obtain and i tell you what, you know what I want to be found guilty of? I want to be found guilty of, of raising up a church family that's rooted and grounded in the knowledge of the Word of God, that's strong in what they believe, and you know why you believe it. Let's go a little bit further. Mary and Martha are contrasted in the Word of God. Martha served. We love people that serve. We need you to serve. Martha grew tired and fatigued of serving because she was serving alone she interrupted jesus's preaching session because her sister mary was sitting down when there was work to be done there were vans to drive and nurseries to watch and there was uh you know family life center to clean and there was all that that needed to be done and 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 there was sign up sheets to sign up on and there were doors to watch and there was visitation to go on and there was all kinds of work to do but mary said i just got to stay in here and, and Martha was aggravated and wanted Jesus to reprimand her. But Jesus said, Mary, or Martha, said, you're very busy. You're doing good things. But Mary's chosen the needful thing. She's chosen to hear the word of God, to hear the word of God in her heart and her life. The heart uh, of our faith is Christ and the cross. Would y'all say that? That is the heart of the Christian faith. That God so loved the world that he sent his only begotten son. That whosoever would believe in him would not perish but have everlasting life. So it's the heart of our faith is the cross and the resurrection. Is that right? Would you say that's it in a nutshell? Jesus died, was buried, and three days later he was raised again. Let me show you, though, this context for just a moment of time, as Paul writes about that same subject matter, two verses in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 3 and 4. They're going to post it, I think, on the screen. It says this for I delivered unto you, first of all, that which I received. How that Christ died for our sins. Notice those last four words. According to what? According to the scriptures. Fourth verse and that he rose again, that he was buried, and that he rose again the third day according to what? Of the scriptures. And so this thing that we call the heart of the gospel, the death, burial, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ, had been foreshadowed, foretold, and prophesied by God through prophets of old for 1,600 years before the event occurred. And so when the apostles would preach about the cross and the resurrection, they could boldly say that Jesus died because the scriptures foretold that he would die. He was buried because the Bible says that he would be numbered or buried with the transgressors, with the evil men. But the Bible also would say that God would not suffer his soul to to, to rot in hell But that up from the ground he would arise. And so he would rise from the dead according to the scriptures. Thank God for the scriptures. Did you know Jesus reproved the men in his generation for not knowing the scriptures? He reproved them. He said, you are in error because you don't know the scriptures nor the word of God. Now, God, what would he say to us in America today? When we have accessibility to the Word of God in all different components, some of you are looking on your iPhone right now, some of you are on your iPad, you've got Christian television, we've got resources, uh, we've got the different versions of the Bible, we've got everything available to us. We've got, we got Blue Letter Bible and we've got Get Bible Gateway and all these tools available to us, and yet we're still to a degree raising up a scripturally ignorant generation. Something is at wrong part of the fault must lie with us as leaders Perhaps we've not charged you and encouraged you enough. I want to encourage you today You need to know the word of god you need to study You need to read you need to meditate upon and think about the word of god Listen this 45 minute sermon that you get once a week from pastor brown is not sufficient enough for you To grow in the grace of god and become the person that god wants you to be you've got to learn to hide this word in your heart Amen. that you will not sin against the Lord. Amen. Is that right? Amen. And mature and then learn to speak that word to others. Well, let me share with you a little bit today to what scriptures, I've just got a few more minutes, to so what scriptures is Jesus referring. The word scriptures in the Greek is graphe, from which we would get graffiti. It means holy writ, holy writ or script, Scripture. Jesus, in a statement, would later reveal the holy writ or the scripture that he was referring to. When Jesus reproved the men of his generation by saying, you do not know the scriptures and therefore you're in error, what scriptures was he referring to? Luke 24, verses 44 and 45 reveal to us the scriptures that he was speaking of. This was after his resurrection when he's meeting with his disciples before he ascends into the presence of God. He said, these are the words that I spoke to you while I was with you that all things must be fulfilled which were written. Notice this, the scriptures that he's referencing were broke down in three compartments, the law of Moses, and also we have the Psalms and the prophets. The Psalms often is described as the writings. The law of Moses, the prophets, and the Psalms. For a moment, let me take you back into the first century, into ancient Judaism. Ancient Judaism had a belief in the Old Testament scriptures, the word of God. In the first century, the Hebrew scriptures were called the 10x that's what it's it sounds out in english in hebrew it's probably 10 that's probably what it is but i don't know that to be uh, the gospel truth but those texts are composed in biblical hebrew and the hebrew text is also known as the mesoretic text but the 10x is an acronym of the first hebrew letter of each of the mesoretic texts Three traditional subdivisions: the Torah, which is also the book of the law, uh, the book of Moses, and also the prophets, which is also called the Nevim, and the Ketuvim which is called the writings. So, in essence, let me go a little bit further. It was actually in the days of Jesus, the 10x consisted of the of 24 books. That was compiled in the Old Testament. You say well Pastor Brown. We have 39 books in our Old Testament. Is it the same? It's exactly the same. The difference would be. You have a first and second Samuel. You have a first and second uh, Chronicles. A first and second Kings. Uh, Also Ezra and Nehemiah were one book. And oddly enough. All 12 of what's known as the minor prophets. Zechariah, Haggai, Amos. Were in one book called the Uh, the part of the prophets and this is what's so awesome jesus quoted from 24 of the 39 books of the bible did you know that of the old testament he quoted in his ministry the gospel writers record him now why is that important to us because jesus was validating the word of god now listen, a scientist can come out of his, um, he could come out of his university and he could say, "I've been digging in the rocks, or I've been looking up into the stars, or I've been reading in my textbook, and I've decided and I've discovered that there is no God." You know what? The Bible would call him "The fool has said in his heart, "There is no God." But we would go to the book of Moses, Genesis chapter number one, where it says, "In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth." And the, are y'all hearing what I'm saying? And Church, we would say, "My faith is in the word of God." Jesus put his faith in the Word of God. He reproved the men and women of his generation because they didn't know the Scriptures. You and I need to not get caught in that trap and suffer the same reproof of Christ and say, God, let me know the Word of God. Let me be taught the Word of God. I'm so grateful because Jesus said, I didn't come to destroy the law. I didn't come to destroy the prophets. He said, I came to fulfill. I'm grateful that he taught me how to speak the Word against my adversary, the devil. That when I fight against spiritual, power, spiritual principalities and powers, what's my weapon that I draw? What's the sword that I draw? It's not a sword of metal or steel of any such nature. It's the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. And when I hide it in my heart, it becomes a weapon. Jesus was confronted with temptation by the devil on the Mount of Temptation. The devil tried to tempt him to take the power of God and to use it to satisfy his own desire in which that would have been lust. And and Jesus, he said if you're really the Son of God, take this stone. You've been fasting for 40 days. Take this stone, turn it to bread and you eat it and satisfy your own desire. But Remember what Jesus said? He quoted from Deuteronomy, the 8th chapter, the 3rd verse, the writings of Moses and he said, it is written that, that, that thou shalt Shall live by every word that proceedeth forth out of the mouth of God. And He taught you and I the life lesson of hiding this word in our heart. And when we know the word and it's deep inside of us, and then when we face trial or temptation or obstacles by the enemy, we are thoroughly prepared. Are y'all hearing what I'm saying? For every good work. Jesus said in John 5 and 39, search the scriptures for in them you think you have life and they are they which testify of me. He said, Search the scriptures. He's referring to those 24 books, 39 for you and I, 24 in his context of the Old Testament. He's saying, Search the scriptures. Go back and read from Genesis to Malachi. Go back and read the Psalms. Go back and read the writings. Read the poetic Psalms of David. Read the writings of Moses. And you'll find that I've been bound to that text from the very beginning, all the way back to a garden called Eden when a man had sinned in the garden and was separated from God. God slew an animal. What was that animal? animal was a lamb and God took the life of a lamb to cover the sin of Adam and it foreshadowed the day in which Jesus would die on the cross he said search it I don't care read the word of God you'll find me in every page of the book because he was the word of God man I'm not ashamed of the word of God today I'm grateful matter of fact if there's anything in my heart I want to repent for not reading it more And desiring to know it. Let me tell you this before I start angling you towards a close. As I've grown in my faith and and as a pastor, I tell you, I have learned, and I know I've said this to you publicly before, but I have learned to appreciate Moses on Mount Sinai more than I ever did before. Now, let me tell you why. Let Let me just read to you real quickly. Let me read to you. Exodus 24. The Lord said to Moses, come up to me into the mount and i will give you a table of stone and a law and a commandments which i have written and you're going to teach them to the people that's a power Now, just think for a moment of time now you have to go back and read this in your own but but let me just capture it for a moment of time up until that time god's people were just the simply the descendants of abraham And they were bound to a word of promise that was given to Abraham. And they identified their faith through. They identified their faith through a sign of covenant called circumcision. There was no written record of God. There was only an oral tradition. Abraham received an oath. He passed it to Isaac. Isaac passed it to Jacob. Jacob passed it to his sons. They exhibited it through the sign of circumcision. But on that fateful day when God himself climbed off of his throne in heaven and he came down to this earth and he sat on that mountain and that when the moment he sat down that mountain erupted in flame black billows of smoke filled the air thunders and lightnings the people two million men and women saw the glory of God and when they saw the glory of God they were afraid of the presence of God And we might be afraid at the manifested presence of God at that degree. But here's the powerful principle. God spoke an audible voice that day. An audible voice. Moses later reminded the people. Listen, stay with me for just a moment. He said, on that day, you didn't see the similitude of a man. You didn't see an angel. There was no representative of God. You just heard his voice echoing out of the fire. And you know what God spoke to the people? He spoke to them the Ten Commandments. And the reason why he did, it was so that when Moses went up on the mountain and received the Ten Commandments that the Bible plainly says were written by the finger of God. That's Hebrew right there. Hebrew in the, the Ten Commandments They were written on the front and on the back so that when Moses would come down and minister to the people, the people would be able to recognize that what was written is what they heard. And so what they heard would validate what was written. And it wouldn't simply be the imaginations of a man gone off into a cave somewhere like Muhammad did 1,500 years ago, have convulsions come back and claim that he's seen a deity, No, it would be God coming down, confirming his word that I am the Lord thy God. Have no other gods before me. Right? That you're to love your father and mother and honor your father and mother and love your wife and be kind to your neighbor. Come on, somebody. And then he would connect to that Ten Commandments, the law of commandments. It was the word of God, and it would confirm to us that God, had spoken his word and now men were capturing the word on pen and paper and it's in consistency it is not inconsistent it is consistent with what was spoken it's in harmony together the word of god Now i don't know about you i am thankful for the word of god today and then when jesus came and i'm getting ready to close but when jesus came and i'm just going to just wrap this up a little quicker because you're getting a little nervous on me But let me say this. When Jesus came, he came as the word. John 1 says, In the beginning was the word, the word was with God, and the word was God. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we beheld his glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father full of grace and truth. John would say that the law was given by Moses where? On a mountain called Sinai but grace and truth came by Jesus Christ. One thing I love about that authoritative audible voice of God, that same voice was heard again one day. When was that voice heard? It was heard two times in the ministry of Jesus to confirm Jesus' ministry as the word. The first was at his baptism when he was baptized. I feel like preaching about Jesus right now. When he was baptized in the river Jordan and he came up out of the water the Bible says the heavens were parted and low the Holy Spirit came from heaven and lit upon him and John said I remember that the one that told me that I, whoever I saw the Spirit lighting upon him he would come and he would baptize you with the Holy Ghost and with fire and suddenly an audible voice from heaven said these words behold this is my beloved son in whom I am well please glory to God later at the end of Jesus' ministry Jesus en route to Jerusalem takes three men with him up on a mountain, and in the presence of those men, he is transfigured. The word transfigured in the Greek means that he was turned glorious from the inside out. So we only saw Jesus on the outside, but at that moment, they got to see the real Jesus who was on the inside his face began to glow with the glorious light of God's grace and goodness and love and power and presence. His garment was white, shimmering in the light. And there were two men were with him, Moses and Elijah. You say, why Moses and Elijah? Because they represented the law and the prophets, and they were therefore confirming the ministry of Jesus. And these three disciples saw it, and they were afraid. And when the when, when they started to come back down the mountain, Peter had a bright idea, and he said, we're going to build three tabernacles. We're going to honor you, we're to honor moses and we're going to honor elijah and when all of a sudden a cloud formed around them and out of that cloud came the authoritative voice of god and said this is my beloved son hear him jesus christ once again the law was given by moses but this thing called grace and truth has come to us by jesus christ and you and i have access to a holy father today not by the sacrificial sin not by the sacrificial system of a of a bullock or a goat but by the blood of Jesus. And we're unashamed to talk about it and testify it in his house today. And then when Jesus left, he commissioned his apostles to preach the word of God, to go and to command them to preach everything that I have commanded you. Did you know in the writings of the apostles, they quoted from the Old Testament 885 times. 885 times. Nine men, or eight, depending upon who you uh, ascribe the book of Hebrews to, write to Jews and to Gentiles, connecting the Old Testament to the New Testament. That the Old Testament was come to point us to the New, that the Old Testament was a schoolmaster until the one that would come, Christ. It would point us to the redemptive grace that we could receive in Christ Jesus, who is now our Lord. And now you and I, church family, can sit anywhere we want to. You can be on a bus. You can be in the back of a cab. You can be on a park bench. You can take a walk and go up on Sugarloaf. And there, you can lean against a tree. And in the quietness of a fall afternoon in Hebrew Springs, you can reach in your pocket. Are y'all hearing what I'm saying today, church family? And you can pull out the Word of God. And you could say, my God, this is the same word that was on Mount Sinai. This is the same word that was on the Mount of Transfiguration. This is the same word that was on the hillside called Golgotha. This was the same word that was on the day of Pentecost. This was the same word that was on an aisle called Patmos, where John the Revelator saw the visions of Jesus Christ. It is the living, authoritative word of God. It is inerrant, and it is for you and I today. It is just as real, just as revelant, just as true. It does not fade away the worlds will fade away the heavens will give way the skies will scroll back the sun will diminish but the word of almighty god will last forever and ever and ever and do not ever be ashamed of it church family but hide it in your heart think about it pray about it contemplate on it and value every opportunity that you get to hear it be people of the book be people of the book Daryl's joining me on the platform today as I close. And so today, a little lighter sermon because I didn't give myself much time. I want you to know what a privileged people that you are to have the word of God. But a crisis is looming in front of the contemporary church because we're afraid of the book. I want you to know today I'm not afraid of this. It is the B-I-B-L-E. It is the book for me. If I have to, I'll stand alone upon the Word of God. It is the B-I-B-L-E. This is God's Word. He's committed it unto us. It's our responsibility to believe it, to read it, and to share it. Don't be ashamed of it. Say, Pastor, we live in in a generation that doesn't know the scriptures well then they will know the scriptures when they hear the word of god listen you say well pastor you can't defend it i don't have to defend it it was here before i got here and it'll be here when i'm gone come on somebody i don't have to defend the entirety of this word listen i don't have to defend god he's able to take care of himself come on son he's my defender i'm not his defender this is the word of god I want to challenge you as a congregation. I want to challenge you as a, as a family man. I want to challenge you as a, as, a, as a single mother today. Hide this word in your heart. Did you know this word will turn your family around? I said this word will turn your family around. Until you, you'll begin to see it grow. The Bible calls it good seed. You sow good seed on good soil, it's going to bring you a good fruit. It's going to bring a good harvest. God's word will not return to him void. But it will accomplish what he sent it forth into the earth to do I'm, just so thankful that as a as a as a husband, I learned to pray the word of god when I was just 17 pastor you are husbands. Yes, I was a husband at 17 I was a father at 19, but I knew the word of god. I was learning I was a child growing in the knowledge of the word of god God opened my eyes and my spiritual ears and I began to learn the promises of god And like Paul told Timothy, you know what you have learned and you're assured of. And I've seen God's Word work. Come on, when nothing else around me would work but God's Word will effectually work in you if you'll believe it. If you'll hide it in your heart, it's the life of God. Come on, I'm telling you, there may come a day there will not be in America. I don't know. I don't know. But I'm telling you one thing will endure. This Word will endure. This Word will endure So hide it in your heart, in your faith, in your family. Moms and dads, man, walk through your home. The Bible told the Old Testament children of Israel, it said, write it on the doorpost. Write it on your wall. You know, get up in the morning and be confronted by it. Like, there it is, bam. You know, when when, when I was growing up, my sister was a heathen. Isn't that right, Papa? Come on. She had an edge to her. She had a tough time. She made poor decisions. When you make poor decisions, you have difficult consequences. But I'll tell you what, she got saved, full of the Holy Ghost, full of the power of God. And when I was at her house, when I was at her house in California, I was reminded of the power of his word. Because every mirror you'd go into, there was the scriptures written out. Every, every I'd go into a room, there's the word written out in her hand. I borrowed her Bible to read her Bible. And, and there were scriptures, and she would write and pray over her children, even when her children's in the far country. Come on, don't give up on this word. Don't, I'm telling you, this word is a living entity. If you sowed it in the heart of your children, it will come back. It will live. It, nothing can kill it. It's alive. It's eternal. It's God. It's God. So trust in this word. Trust in the word of God today. You know, I'm going to close with this real quickly as parents and I'm concerned about the millennial generation, aren't y'all? We all are. The, that means the younger generation. It seems like everywhere I turn, I'm being confronted that we got to find a way to reach the, the young adults. And I respect that. Because the world has done a great job of pulling them, pulling them that way. But I tell you, Mom and I had a, had a great moment in our family just a couple weeks ago when I got a phone call from one of my sons, and he said, Dad, he said, by the way, when you come down here, he said, can you find us a devotion? Because as brothers, said, so we want to we have devotions together. We want to know the Word of God. These are 21 and 20, or no, 22 and 24-year-old young men. Why am I saying that with tears in my eyes? The reason why I'm saying that is, is because God's Word. God's Word. The Word was sown The word is starting to live, starting to grow. They've seen the virtue of it. They know they can't live without it. They can't be the men God wants them to be without it. And neither can you. I'll tell you what, I want to reach millennials. Other people do a better job of reaching them than I ever will. But if we can reach them, I'll tell you what, I'll sign up to teach them. Because you know what I'll teach them? I'll teach them to hide this word the same way I did JoJo 10 years ago. I come in here on sometimes, catch him alone, got a prayer shawl around his shoulders, speaking the Word of God, growing in the grace of God, growing in the knowledge of God. Paul said, the things you've seen in me, he said, commit to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. I'm so grateful for the Word of God today. I'm grateful to have a congregation that values the Word. Listen, I want to pray for you today. In closing, this past appreciation, I got to hand the baton off. I didn't create this brother randy the board they asked for this once a year i'm going to step out when that moment comes me and sherry's gonna be out there to go and greet you when you leave but we close that passage in the book of colossians when paul said on the day that i heard about your faith he said i didn't cease to pray for you that you would grow in the knowledge of god who here today would be honest and Say, pastor would you pray with me right where right, i just i need to grow in my knowledge of god and his word Come on, who's got the courage to raise your hand today? Be honest, right there around the room. Say, Pastor, pray with me. The overwhelming majority of our church family, young and old, millennials, and even the silent generation have raised their hands. So, God, we pray. Would y'all pray with me here today? Would y'all pray with me? I'm so grateful to be your pastor. and Have a privilege.